Hey friends, welcome to RUF. Um, hey, so if you've been with us this semester, you know we're working, our, we're working our way through the book of Revelation. And tonight we get to, I think, one of the sweetest passages in all of Scripture. Um, it's about a coming day for us, the church, for the people of God. And it's a promise to us. And it's, uh, it's simply called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And uh, that's what we're going to look at tonight. Let me get this guy going. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to dive right in. So Revelation 19. Yeah, there we go. Revelation 19, we're going to read verses 6 to 10. It's uh, printed in your handout. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let me pray for us and then we're going to dive in. And I just really want to look at, I mean, tonight is my kind of night because we really tonight, Revelation 19 is inviting us to just revel, to just be immersed, to just rest so hard in the kind of love that God has for us. That's what we're going to do tonight. Let me pray for us first. So let's pray. Father, you love us far beyond what we know, far beyond, far beyond what we deserve, far beyond um, what we could ever earn. And Lord, I pray that uh, for some of us, we have heard that so many times that it, it doesn't move us anymore. It doesn't, it kind of falls on deaf ears. It kind of bores us or maybe we just makes us uncomfortable or for some of us though we've never really heard the gospel of your love um, for sinners like us for broken and messy people going through unspeakable things and so lord i pray for both of us tonight for whoever however it is that we come that you would make your love palpable to us tonight that you would make it tangible by your spirit in this room tonight we pray these things uh, through Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm going to start a little dark, and we're going to move a little a little lighter. But uh, So today I was reading, actually, it's one of the best essays I've read in a long time. It was in The New Yorker. It's by an author. Uh, his name is Juno Diaz. He's a Dominican, uh, from the Dominican Republic, eventual, uh, originally. And he's in his 50s now. He wrote a Pulitzer, uh, like his second book, won the Pulitzer. I mean, he's just a really, really, really gifted writer, respected and pretty famous in the English world, in the writing world. Well, yesterday he wrote this piece in The New Yorker where he basically just, um, it's kind of like one of those weirdly, it's, it's heartbreakingly beautiful. That's the best way to say it. Because on the one hand, he gets really uh, intense and kind of almost just confesses his story 
that when he was eight years old, he was pretty horrifically sexually assaulted. And he had never told anyone that ever. He'd held it in. And, he, and the way he kind of does it is he says there was a person that came to a signing that he thought was, it kind of asked him that question up, like just outright, because she thought that she had read it in some of his books, and he denied it. So he starts the whole piece saying, I don't know who you are, but if you're reading this, please hear me. I'm so sorry that I let that happen and didn't uh, basically let you in to this part of my story. But the whole thing is genius because he talks about how he's, he lived with that dark secret in his life for a long time. And what it, what, how he did it was he created what he calls just a mask. And the mask that he wore was the mask of, uh, it, it went from everything from alcoholism to substance abuse to being a serial, sort of sleeping around all over the place, just kind of, you know, mask after mask after mask. And he talks about how, like, how oftentimes because of what Sin and Brokenness does to us, we feel most comfortable in these masks that we wear. The way that I want you to see me. The way that I want you to perceive me. This is why Chris Rock, the, the best stand-up of all time, he'll say, when you meet me for the first time, you're not meeting me, you're meeting my representative. And what he means by that is basically we are so afraid of letting each other behind the mask. That's what Juno Diaz piece is all about. And the reason that is, and this is what I kind of want to convince you of tonight, the reason that is, is you and I are terrified. We long for and yet are terrified of, we long for, that we could possibly, could anyone possibly fully know us, know everything that has happened to us, know everything about us, and at the same time, truly love us? Can we? Is it possible to be fully known through and through, dark parts, hard parts, and all, and at the same time, be truly and genuinely loved? Y'all, this is why we, this is why dating is hard, right? This is why relationships are hard. This is why your friendships have fluctuated and gone all over the place in college. This is why life is hard because we long for that. And yet at the same time, we are terrified that it could ever happen because of could anyone really know us and truly love us. And this is where Revelation 19 is an absolute gift. Because it says, not only in the gospel is that true of the Lord's love for you, the way the Lord pursues you, but also we have this tangible feast that is coming for us. It's a gospel feast of, for, for those of us who belong to Jesus, who he, and it's a promise that he not just fully knows us, but he truly loves us. There are four things that I want to kind of look at, that this gift of the marriage supper of the Lamb Four things I want us to see. I'm just going to go one by one tonight that tell us something about the love of God. Here's the first one. The first thing it tells us is he pursues us. We have a God who pursues us in our restlessness. We have a God who pursues us in our restlessness. By the way, these are taking, these points are uh, from my friend, Scotty Smith, who, so they are not original to me, but I love the way he says them. So I'm going to use them. So first he pursues us in our restlessness. Here's the bad news about yourself tonight. You have a restless heart. Welcome to the club. I have Russell's heart as well. We have a heart that seeks what the Bible calls idols. That's why John Calvin called our hearts idol factories, is that we can make almost a god of anything, make a lover of anything, and our hearts go after that, after them. And what that means is, even though we know the truth, if you belong to Jesus, that means at some level you know the truth about God's love for you, even if you're not experiencing it or feeling it. Even though you know it cognitively, There is something in your heart that still runs after and chases being loved by something else other than Jesus. Again, welcome to the club. This is a biblical idea. I was thinking about this today. This is why Noah, there's two two examples. This is why Noah 
After he's saved, and when God floods the earth and saves Noah and his family, do you remember what Noah does? The first thing, one of the first things he does when he steps off the ark onto dry land, he gets blackout drunk. Like, truly, drunk such that he's naked. Do you know the story? It's a crazy story. He gets completely naked, and this is where he has that weird moment with his son Ham, because Ham doesn't cover his nakedness and his drunkenness. But in that moment, Noah, what? He was restless. Or think about David. David becomes king. One of the first, what's one of the first things he does? He manipulates and seduces Bathsheba. And in that moment, he shows us he has a restless heart. Uh, let me try to drive it home a little more. Uh, your restless heart is the reason you're in tender. And can we just say, we're all on tender in our hearts, right? Like tender is kind of like a part of our heart makeup, to be honest with you. Uh, it's the reason that you're killing yourself with so many sleepless nights to get that grade. Uh, your restless heart is the reason that you drink or smoke or overeat or binge or are a maniac when it comes to exercise. It's because of your restless and my restless heart because of, of that question. Can anyone fully know me and truly love me? Can anyone fully know me and truly Love me. And yet, the marriage supper of the Lamb says, Yes, you have a God who pursues you in your restlessness. Here's the way we can say it He is restless in His pursuit of you that you might come to actually rest in His love and grace and be satisfied. And He promises to pursue you to the very end. That's why I love. I love when we do John 13, and it's a beautiful, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, it's beautiful, but that line, you've heard me say before, that I love so much is when John says he loved his friends so much that he washed their feet, even Judas, but then it says, and he loved them to the end. There is no end in God's love for you. He pursues you and your restlessness. Y'all, this is why we are longing for this, is why we love rom-coms. Daniel mentioned Move Fitness last week. So he's got me on that train through Anna, Daniel. Now I'm on the movie room train. And uh, they're just play some really bad movies, to be honest with you. Just, and some really bad rom-coms. Because I haven't watched rom-coms in a long time. But there's still a part of you that gets sucked into a rom-com. And there's still a part of me that can get sucked into, you know, like the most classic rom-com of all time, which would be The Notebook. And this is the way I was thinking about today. And I'm just going to try this on you. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We'll just roll to the next point. But I was thinking about, you know, that what, makes, what makes the notebook connect is not just Ryan Gosling, who is so handsome. I think we can all acknowledge that in so many ways. Uh, but what makes it work is just the story. That here is this guy who relentlessly pursued, uh, I don't remember the girl's name in the film. Help me out. Allie, thanks, Allie. Noah, I know Noah, that's my guy. Uh, pursued Allie, wrote her letter after letter that her mom kept from her, you know the story. But then the idea, like he restores that house for her. And I was thinking about that's why I chose the house in the picture. Because I was thinking like, we, there's part of us that longs for someone to love us like that, to pursue us in our restlessness like Noah pursues Allie. And this is what I'm, like, this is where, and this is going to be cheesy, but I'm going to use it, I'm going to go for it. Is I was thinking like, this is where Jesus really is the true and better Noah Calhoun. Yeah, I know. Listen, I know. I know. <laughs> it's going to get worse, but it's going to get better. It'll be a good kind of worse. Like Jesus, one of the, this is what connects with me. Maybe it'll connect with you. Jesus, the la, one of the last things he says in John 14 as he's giving his farewell speech to his disciples. 
it's pretty like we, we hear it all the time. Like I sing it in YouTube all the time. But he says this astounding thing that we have to get in the context of Revelation 19. Is he says, we're gonna, I'm going to quote it. Um, he says, John 14, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Now here's where this matters. The part of the marriage supper that we miss is that in Jesus' culture, basically the way marriage worked was you would get engaged and you would have this actual pretty formal engagement ceremony where the man would go to the wife's family and he would actually, there would be a, a, he would buy her like with a price. Okay, that feels super sexist these days. Forget that part. The part that then happened is the part that we, that this is the point that Revelation is making. What then happened was the, the wife and the husband-to-be were then separated for a year so that the husband could go and prepare a place for his bride. And so do you see what, what, John is, what Jesus is telling us through John in Revelation? Is he's saying, where do you think I am right now? I am in the new heavens and new earth, and I am preparing a place for my bride, for you and for me. And you better believe that I'm going to pursue you in your restlessness until I bring you to live with me and to be where I am. He pursues us in our restlessness. Second, he accepts us in our sinfulness. He accepts us in our sinfulness. Here's the, I mean, there's going to be bad news and good news in each point. The other bad news is you have a sinful heart. Again, welcome to the club. That your heart is full of sin. It's brimming with evil. Jeremiah 17 says your heart is deceitful above all else. This means that you have thought and said and done things of which you are and ought to be ashamed. And me too. And what Revelation 19 makes clear, this is interesting, is that sometimes when you hear that word sin, it's easy for us, especially if you grew up in certain parts of the church, to kind of think of sin as just breaking rules. Like sin is do, do these things, and if you don't do these things, you're in sin, or don't do these things, and if you do them, you're in sin. And what Revelation 19, when it frames our relationship with God in this way, is it makes sin far, far less about breaking rules, even though it's, that's part of it, and far, far more about breaking heart about breaking the heart of God and that basically it's giving us a relational dynamic of sin in other words sin is adultery sin is cheating sin is unfaithfulness in other words you're engaged what Revelation 19 is saying you're engaged and we are waiting the marriage supper of the lamb with Jesus you're engaged and you and I don't act like it we have wandering eyes we have wandering hearts. And that's our problem. I'll never forget my predecessor at Georgia Southern, where I was before here. His name was David Wilson. And he was just classic. Like one time, this is what I want to do before I ever leave USC, is he preached a sermon in the middle of a sermon one time. He just did that thing where he got real like mad at the group and just left in the middle of it. He basically said, you guys don't care. You don't give up about the gospel. And he like left. Might do that one night just to see how it goes. Because he was kind of crazy. He would do crazy things and say crazy things. And uh, this one time, I'll never forget that when he was, uh, had a, a student who had him as a campus minister tell me the story. He had a student who was going kind of wild, who had belonged to RUF, belonged to Jesus, who was kind of doing the party scene pretty hard. And Dave calls him up and says, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not going to say his name. I'll just say his name is John. John, you are engaged to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, either, either get married or take off the ring. Get married or take off the ring. 
And I thought, man, that's an interesting way to frame discipleship, that we are, part of our sin in our sinfulness is we, have, we are unfaithful. We commit spiritual adultery. That's the bad news. But the good news is that those are the only, the only kind of people invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb are sinners. The only people who, who have a standing invitation who are going to be there at the marriage supper of the Lamb are people who, who have made mistakes, who, who don't have it all together, and who know that. Uh, I, I love, there's a story years ago, this campus ministry in London, and they were doing signs to put around campus to like, advertise their group. We don't really do this at USC anymore. We used to do it at Georgia Southern, and this one year, my students convinced me to make a sign that simply, this is when the office was big, that simply said, that's what she said. And that sign did not go over super well because, A, it didn't make RUF, like, it didn't make any kind of connection to RUF. And then, B, it was kind of offensive. But this campus ministry, I thought, had the most genius sign that they put all around London, around their campus. And it simply said this, only bad people go to heaven. Only bad people go to heaven. And what it's, you know what it's saying? It's saying that only people who, what we're saying the only fitness Jesus requires, the only fitness to be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb and to feast with Jesus and be married and wedded to Jesus is to feel your need of him, is to feel at some level and know at some level your sinful heart and your sin. And that's the good news of the gospel, is that God knows that, which is why he sent his son Jesus to, to die on the cross for you, is he knows your badness. And he sent Jesus to die for it, that you might be restored and brought home to him. This is why I love that J.I. Packer quote. Uh, you've heard me say it before. Here's the way he says it. Here's the comfort of that. Here's the comfort that God accepts us in our sinfulness. He doesn't accept our sin, but he knows it and he's dealt with it. And here's the way Packer says it. He says, there is tremendous relief in knowing his love to me is utterly realistic. He fully knows me. He knows my sinful heart. Is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. There's another part of that quote where he says, God justified you with eyes wide open. He saw the whole picture. He saw everything that you didn't want him to see. He saw everything that you don't want anyone in this room to see, and me too. And he saw it, and yet he accepts you in your sinfulness because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. God, another way of saying it is God knows you at your worst, and yet he loves you at his absolute best in the giving of his son, Jesus. He pursues us in our restlessness. He accepts us in our sinfulness. Thirdly, he holds us in our brokenness. He holds us in our brokenness. Again, you have a broken heart. And I don't mean you've just been out of a relationship and your heart's been broken in that way, although that might very well be true. But what I mean by that is you carry burdens with you. You carry traumas with you. You, you carry struggles with you. You carry family issues with you. You carry personality struggles with you. you carry, we carry these broken things when we are broken ourselves. And, and maybe you're deeply aware of that tonight. And for some of you, you're, you're, you don't have a clue yet. And part of Jesus' work in your life is going to bring you more and more in touch with that brokenness. And the way that the scripture paints this picture for us is that basically what this means is we, and when it comes to sin 
that we are all basically two things. We are all villains, which is what we just looked at. We have a sinful heart that's deceitful. We are selfish. We are uh, self-obsessed. And we do things we shouldn't do and don't do things we should do. We are villains. Yes. But at the same time, we are also victims. You have, in other words, you have sinned against others. And the other part that sometimes we're not good at talking about is others have really sinned against you. Sometimes it's as simple as your parents. Sometimes it's people that you went to school with. Sometimes it's siblings. Sometimes it's boyfriends or girlfriends. Sometimes it's just friends. Friends. Sometimes it's strange. I don't know what it is for you. But I can tell you that you have brokenness, not just in yourself. You have brokenness that's been done to you. This is why my favorite album of last year was this random band, indie band called Big Thief. And Big Thief uh, had this beautiful song in this album called Mythological Beauty. And they're just, uh, she in particular is so good at wrestling with her own, just reflecting really deeply in her own story. And then it comes out in the most beautiful ways in her song. In this song, she's reflecting on her mom who had her way too young and just wasn't a fit, fit mother. And so it's a song kind of about her mom and about her mom's desire to leave, and yet she stays. And because she stays, it hurts her, but if she were to have left, it would have hurt her. And the, the chorus of the song simply says this, You're all caught up inside, but you know the way. You're all, and she just sings it over and over, You're all caught up inside, but you know the way. And what she's saying is, maybe she does know the way, maybe she doesn't know the way, but you and I do know the way. That we can take our brokenness to Jesus because he holds us so deeply and so carefully in it. This is why I love and I use that story of R.A. Dickey all the time. It's baseball season. You know the story. You've heard me say it, but it so fits here. R.A. Dickey, you know him. He was one of the best knuckleball preachers and uh, pitchers. And a knuckleball preacher would be fascinating. Knuckleball pitchers in all of baseball. He's kind of washed up. Now, he didn't, I'm, a, I'm trying to get, every season I try to get back into the Braves, and I'm real in this season because the Braves are, like, winning. He pitched for the Braves a couple years ago, and it just it was terrible. It was a train wreck. Anyways, his story is fascinating. He actually experienced pretty profound abuse, similarly, similarly to Juno Diaz, to the point where he tried to kill himself. And you know the story. He goes out, he swam out into the ocean. He was going to drown himself. Do you remember this story? You've heard me tell it. And he's trying to drown himself and kill himself. And by God's grace, this boat happens to go by. And they pick him up. They literally save his life. And kind of through that wake-up call, he tells his wife about the trauma he'd experienced. He tells, starts telling friends. He starts seeing a counselor. And he has this beautiful line when he talks about how hopeful counseling was for him. As he said, I learned that there were people who could hold my story carefully. My question to you tonight is, do you have people who can hold your story carefully. Listen, sometimes the best way to start, you've heard me say this too, and I'm going to keep saying it until the Lord takes me. Which is a weird thought. (laughs) Until I die, basically. Is Counselors can be the best way. Counselors who believe the gospel are sometimes the best place to start to learn there are people who can hold your story carefully. Now, let me, I'm going to really push you here. Some of you don't know your story. And can I just say to you, your witness as a Christian, especially to non-Christians, especially to people who aren't sure about the gospel, is going to be not very credible if you're not in touch with the way God enters the brokenness of your story. Like, if you are not there, listen, I've done this long enough to know this about you guys. There are two ways of trying to do the Christian life in college. 
One way is to pretend like everything is okay and you're, tri- you're, you're triumphant in every single way, which usually makes you an arrogant a-hole that no one wants to be around, or it makes you crash and burn in the saddest of ways. That's one option. The other option is to actually follow Jesus by the hand to deal with the brokenness of your story. Now, some of us have more brokenness than others, but all of us, by being alive in this world for at least 18 years, have some, I promise you. And you're either leaning into it and facing it, or you're running away from it. And can I tell you, it's very clear which direction growth in the Christian life is. This is trying to escape suffering and pain. And this is actually following the path of the cross and following Jesus himself into going through it and facing it. This is why I love the story out of Henry Nouwen's life. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest. He was actually a genius. He he taught at Harvard. He was an incredible intellectual man. And there's a story. He gave all that up to go serve with mentally handicapped, uh, a a mentally handicapped, or a community for mentally handicapped people in the Northeast. And basically, there are these stories where he would do these chapels. And at the end of these chapels, he had this ministry to that community where they would just call it, it sounds weird, but they would just call it basically a... um, a hug service, which sounds weird. But what he would do is he would like lead the service, and then afterwards he would invite anyone who wanted to come and simply receive a hug from him to come and, and be embraced. And he was using it in that community to show a tangible expression of what the grace of God is like. And there's this one night where this is happening, and he's hugged whoever has come forward, and there's a janitor in the back of the room. And he sort of sheepishly, with tears in his eyes, holds up his hand and he says, me? Me too? And Henry Nowen welcomes him forward and he embraces him in this hug. And I love that story because this is, this is the good news for us about the gospel. Is we have a God who holds us in our brokenness. And who weeps with us in the parts of our stories that deserve to be wept over And sometimes we've never even had people weep with us in them. But I can promise you the good news that we're going to experience part of the feast of Revelation 19 is we're going to be with the God who holds us in our brokenness and is going to wipe away those tears. And it's going to be unbelievable. And the last thing I want you to see, he pursues us in our restlessness. He accepts us in our sinfulness. He, He holds us in our brokenness. And the last thing I want you to see is he frees us from our lovelessness. Because here's the last thing that you have to see about yourself is that you have a selfish heart. And sometimes that means in the Christian life, we can use, especially in our circles, we can use grace to stay selfish. And we can use grace as an excuse to not care about each other or pursue each other. So this is what I want to kind of close with. is How do you know you're growing in the grace of the gospel and you're longing for this day, the marriage supper of the Lamb? How do you know you're on that path. How do you know you're growing in it? Here's how you know. You're becoming the kind of person who, who pursues others in their restlessness. You're becoming the kind of person who, because you so understand your restless heart, you are patient with your friends who are wandering and are in the wilderness. It also means you're becoming the kind of person who accepts others in their sinfulness. Not that you accept their sin, But you know what I'm saying? Because you understand your own sinful heart, you are so gentle in your rebuke. And you are so patient in your bearing with your friends. The last thing you are is a jerk to them. And also, the last thing is you're becoming the kind of person who holds others in their brokenness. 
In other words, you're becoming the kind of person that your friends can cry with. You're becoming the kind of person who is not afraid to hug your friend in their time of what they're going through, their, their time of trial. And you actually, because you're in touch with your own brokenness, you actually, not only does that make you a great listener, but it actually, you might just begin to have a little bit of wisdom from the Lord to offer your friends around you. Let's pray to that end. Lord, I pray that you would make us a community. I pray that you would immerse us in this kind of love that you promise us. Lord, you have a tent. We have a, we have a, the gospel has a save the date. And it's the mere supper of the Lamb. And Lord, I pray that you would um, give us that joy, give us that laughter, give us that freedom, give us that love tonight. We desperately need it. Lord, a lot of us came in here tonight, and the last thing we feel is we feel um, like we don't deserve for you to love us, especially like this. And Lord, would you convince our hearts as restless and sinful and broken as they can be that you love us through and through that you are pursuing us right now, that you are, have accepted us through Christ, and that you are holding us and long to weep with us in the places and our stories uh, that we need you to. So Lord, would you meet us in this place in that way, even as we sing this last song, where we pray these things in your name, Lord Christ. Amen. We all stand and sing as our last hymn, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. <laughs>